Have you ever been a horse before? <laughs> Hello and welcome to this episode of the Alien Familiar RPG Podcast. I am Clayton. I'm Jordan. And I am Elliot. Before we get started, you can find show notes and more at alienfamiliar.com. You can email us at alienfamiliarmedia at gmail.com. We are on Facebook at facebook.com slash alienfamiliar. And if you would like to help us out with uh, supporting the show, you can do so at patreon.com slash alienfamiliarmedia, where if you enjoy our content and would like to help us out with hosting costs, any help you would be able to give us would be greatly appreciated. Uh, today, we are talking about game rules. Specifically, we are going to be talking about whether or not game rules actually matter. Uh, to what extent is it important to master the rules or just wing it or being loose with the rules and uh, having the narrative uh, take over in play? At the very beginning of this, I want to say that I think that most of this depends on those uh the preferences of the group and also it really highly depends on what game system you are playing because some game systems are really designed for you to be like be able to go off and do things that aren't covered in the rules because well the rules just don't cover everything well you gotta have some basic amount of rules to even call it a game if you don't have any rules at all all you're doing is improvisational theater right so there is some minimum amount of objective quantification of, you know, actions and consequences that is required for you to be playing a game. Can we agree on that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the name of the podcast is a little coy because obviously the rules do matter, but it's really just uh, what I really wanted to talk about was just at what point... Um, do the rules, you know, when do you break a rule, when, you know, to what extent should the players feel obligated to know the rules themselves, how uh, much mastery should one have to, uh, you know, even be willing to jump in the DM's chair, and and uh, and at what point, something that I've been thinking about a lot lately is like, at what point do the rules um, become too constraining? We had a... Uh, I'm playing in a game right now with a friend who is his first time DMing, long-time player, but I wouldn't say that he's by any stretch a master of the rules. Um, neither am I, by the way, in this 5th edition in context. But we're playing a really high-level game, and <clears throat> the best part of uh, the evening, I think, came when we had defeated a group of foes and we had some POWs, I guess you could say, that we had to deal with. And my first thought was, well, I can just put them in my bag of holding, like 17 people's worth. And uh, I looked up the rules and, uh, of the bag of holding after I suggested it. And I was like, ah, sh sh shoot. It says here that the carrying capacity can only be so many cubic feet and up to so much weight. And, you know, the D he was just like, I love the idea. I don't care. They all fit. <laughs> and that was really fun. And that's something that, as a DM, I don't know that I would have done because I do... You know, though I'm not a master of the rules by any stretch, when the rules do come down or someone looks it up for me, I always want to default to that. I'm, it takes a lot for me to put a rule to the side just for the sake of my own whim as a DM. What do you guys think about your experiences playing with DMs who are willing to just kind of toss a rule out the window, you know, willy-nilly? Well, I do have an example specifically with a bag of holding um, that's kind of a parallel to what you're 
you're asking for or what you were asking for and what happened. Um, in this game, a character wanted to carry, wanted to have a bag of holding full of, well, in this particular game, there were these um, frogs that were heralding the apocalypse that were um, basically multiplying um, without uh, laying eggs or anything. They were just kind of multiplying when people weren't watching. And so this character wanted to put a bunch of them into a bag of holding to basically spread these this arpinger of the apocalypse to other places that the player characters went there <laughs> and th- that i that was fine um i kind of ignored the rules about um like that there's only so much air in a bag of holding and once um once that air runs out things start to suffocate i just kind of waved that rule aside um but then it became a recurring thing where this player wanted to use the bag of holding to transport people and other living things from one place to another. And it be- it became one of those situations where you gave an inch and they started taking mm-hmm. a mile. And I really didn't have the basis to say, well, in this, this instance, this, like, this is clearly an abuse of the rules, what you're doing now. Unlike the like the little bit that I gave you before where we kind of bent the rules because this was a cool idea. Um, I, I feel like there is a very fine line there and different people will see that line at different places. What was it that was abusive about the um, the later uses of the bag of holding to move things around? Uh, they like they were wanting to transport a um I don't remember how many people it was. It was basically a family. It was a definitely a child and one of the parents. I don't remember if there were two parents, but wanted to transport them um, for a while inside of the bag of holding, like through this very militarized area where um, it would have been obvious if they were um, allowing the people out in order to breathe. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think an example that would riff off that, that would, even like the um, even more abusive version of that is imagine going to a, a you know a, a high level dungeon that your dm's prepared and and you have that precedent set and so like you go to a big city and you hire you know i don't know a hundred mercenaries uh and you put them all in your bag of holding and the other party members get in your bag of holding then you cast invisible and then you just walk right in and uh you know uh who knows maybe you don't even like have a you can get around the entire encounter that way or then when the time comes that you do have to find you know find combat it's like here you go here's an army march guys you know uh you're right it's a slippery slope um another th- another thing that comes to my mind a question i wanted to ask you guys about in this topic is um dms who have just a low level of knowledge uh is a another kind of aspect to do the rules matter have you guys had experiences in games where you know a dm who is fast and loose maybe because of just eh, lack of study or lack of interest i mean i had a dm once upon a time who was um just is just a a great artist he's like a very extremely extremely great at making terrain and stuff like that And his games were so fun um and uh but that was more his passion and, and the rules were meant to drape his artistic talents on so he, he wasn't too much of a stickler for the minutiae of rules and it was often that we 
we did very fantastic things, and it was awesome. And it's but at a certain point, uh, I was all often like found myself not really feeling that as if my character was very much in jeopardy, uh, or I was I noticed that other player characters maybe took advantage, and uh, maybe spell certain spells didn't have concentration that should have, or maybe we can cast a whole bunch a whole bunch of like I know last game none of us were aware except for Clayton that we I could you can only cast two spells per turn as a rule I, I never would have caught that. And you know, little little things like that. Um, I mean, seem small, but I mean, shoot, if you can cast a bunch of spells in one turn, that that's a that that really affects the power curve of the game. So we've got the question of how much of the rules should the game master know, and how much of the rules the players should know. And I kind of want to tackle those as separate issues. Um, I'll, I'll start with the game master. Um, yes, um, I have definitely been in multiple games where the game master has not known the rules like literally not known the rules um and i have i have a very bare minimum amount of rules that i feel like a person should know about a game before they take on the mantle of being a gm i think they should be able to understand character creation the basics of it how to how what each step is and how to advance from one step to the other. They don't need to know every option that is available. They just need to know, okay, in D and D, uh, you, how, how to roll stats, how to choose your race, how to choose your class, how to apply your race and your class to your stats, how to select your skills, how to, um, calculate your two hit damage and your, or your two hit and your damage. Those basic things are what a game master should know for running a game. They should also be familiar with the core mechanic of the game. Like in D&D, the core mechanic is you roll a d20 for most, for everything but damage, you roll a d20 and then you add modifiers to that roll. Usually one of your attributes and sometimes your proficiency bonus. That's, that is the core mechanic of D&D 5th edition. Um, if you don't have that basic understanding of how to create a character and what the core mechanic is, then I don't think you have, I don't think you know enough about a system in order to be a game master in that system. You barely have enough to be a player in that system. Agreed. Any funny shenanigans you guys want to share from DMs who put that mantle on too soon? I don't have any that comes off the top of my head, but I was curious if there's any really great examples where uh maybe somebody picked it up a little too soon and paid a price well i've i've been in a game where the game master was new to game mastering they had only game mastered maybe like four or five sessions before um i had joined the game they were also new to the online environment that we were playing in over um, a combination of skype and roll 20 and they were relatively new to the game system we were playing. And that com- that created just this, this perfect storm of the game master not knowing what to do or how to do things. And luckily in that situation, we had a couple of players who were pretty knowledgeable about each of those things separately. So we were kind of able to walk, walk the GM through it. But um, it's... It's really rough when you're playing a game and the game master doesn't know how to apply 
damage to the creatures that the player characters are attacking mm. in order to take that creature off of the board whenever we've defeated it. I mean, it's a big help to me, I can say this. I mean, there are definitely tiers of experience and, and, and knowledge of how knowledgeable people are about a game. And I find it infinitely helpful to have uh, a player who has, I mean, not only you, but Jordan, there are aspects of the game you're, you, you're often checking me on. Uh, I've, I know that uh, Aaron is a big help. He has a very good command of the rules. Um, I mean, I would say three out of the five of my players probably have a better command of the rules than I do, and I find that so helpful. I, I know that some DMs uh, are very touchy about... Like, a lot of the times, I've, uh, I, it's been in my experience where if a player calls a DM on a, a, on a rule, hopefully it's like minutia, something that it's like on page 214 of the uh, special actions or, you know, the details about spells, you know. Uh, hopefully it's something that's kind of uh, specific to a character that maybe a DM didn't dig in deep on because they're not, they haven't played a wizard. In my case, it's been a while since I'd played a caster. Um, have you guys ever had that DM who really doesn't take very kindly to those, uh, helpful, helpful hints? I know I have. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think, uh, I don't think we've talked at all here about, uh, system differences for this stuff. We've just been talking about D&D, but like, um, I think it's worth mentioning that when it comes to, um, you know, this breadth of rules knowledge and, um, you know, all these little exceptions and stuff. Um, D and D is, is one of the particular, um, types that has a lot of very specific rules for certain character builds. And, you know, there is the, the core list of, you know, um, attributes, skills, you know, the, those combat actions that, um, anyone can do, but compared to all of the, uh, variability, um, in specific feats, if you're using that, um, class features, spells, yada, yada. Um, I, the majority of the game is special case. And I think that makes it, uh, extra difficult to run. Whereas if we were running something like, um, like Call of Cthulhu or like the, um, New World of Darkness and we're just playing humans, um, it, World of Darkness gets the exact same problem if you're doing werewolves or vampires or whatever. But, um, you know, some game systems try to have a much um, stronger sort of central pillar of rules or skeleton of rules that everyone interacts with. And, you know, maybe maybe it's small, maybe it's um, meant to be general purpose and quick or whatever. But the point is the ratio of of the rules that most players are going to interact with versus the ones that are special case for those characters, you know, might be larger or smaller depending on the game system. And I think that a lot of this is much easier in those types of systems that, that have um, the central set of commonly interfaced with rules and have a minimum amount of, um, you know, edge case uh, stuff that someone's going to bring in from you know, left field that, oh, well, my warlock has this special thing from this book and blah, 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 and no one's ever seen it before, but, you know, here it is. You know what I mean? Very much. Um, and, I, I mean, even though we have to focus mostly on 
fifth edition. I think everything Clayton said about rules are really general and true of anything. I mean, a DM really must have uh, the combat system under his belt, knowing how to manage P- NPCs, but like as simple as like keeping up with hit points and things like that, um, are a must. You know, the, and like you said, the core mechanics and I, those are present in every game system, be it the percentile systems out there, the detail systems. I do think that that's something that I always, when I talk to people outside of games or talk to players in game, like our buddy, he's starting that new game, which is great. It's his first time. You know, I find myself getting on my soapbox about gaming a lot. And, you know, I, you know, I think the D, one thing that players and everybody I play with are good about this, that, you know, it's important for players to understand that there's more responsibility on the DM in hours committed. And so uh, this is, I'm, I'm trying to segue into the character responsibilities or character rules things because um, it can be a, it can be difficult for a DM to also have to walk someone through playing their specific character in a D&D type thing or in a vampire. Anything that has those very um, specific, unique class styles, you know, be it your vampire type or whatever, your class. And it's like, how much should the player rely on the DM for being as kind of their coach? Because I, I struggle with that as a DM myself. I think every DM struggles with where where that line is for um, how much should I be helping the players understand their character and at what point does it happen where the player is now responsible for their character and is assumed to be the master of the rules for their character. Um, whenever you're brand new to a system, there's going to, like, whether it's the GM or the player, there's going to be a lot of back and forth. There's going to be a lot of um, advice. There's going to be a lot of figuring the rules out as we go, um, like coming into a um, an edge case where the rules have this this weird quirk to them where you've got to look up this um, where where you've got to look up the grapple rules and see what exactly those rules are because they're slightly different than every other rule in the game. Um, but I feel like well, I've never been good about figuring out when basically to let the little birdies that are my players fly on their own and be totally responsible for understanding the things that are on their character sheet. Whenever we were playing in our um, nine-month-long Abena game, um, I struggled with that from the first session to the last session of reminding players how to make sometimes very simple roles on for their character like we had a well the players had a joke and i had something that irritated me every time it was said was is that a skill (laughs) i'm almost the exact opposite uh you know i love introducing we got two brand new players in the game we're all playing together and i love bringing the game to new players i remember being a new player and you know of course i was young teenager then so i had nothing better to do it's not like i was doing my homework I was, I, you know, buy that copy of the book and get into a game and I was flipping the pages. I was reading about my class. And if there's one thing I was able to do by the time I sat down at the table, it's to play the character I wanted to play. Now, I may not have been, like, I like to play wizards. I'm a terrible wizard. I'm not a very effective wizard, but I love it. And I love, and I, I learned how to play the character the way I wanted to play it. 
and I try not to bog other players down when I'm a player. I try to have my turn ready, and so like I viewed that early on as that's my job, that's my responsibility as a player. That's why I'm at the table. I want to, I like my character. I want to know how to use it. So as a DM, it's just kind of assumed on my part that you're the same. And when it comes to coaching new players, I, you know, obviously this is what initiative is. This is how you roll it. Um, do you have an attack? These are how many attacks you have in a round. You have spells. Do you want to use a spell? And, you know, but once it gets beyond that, I'm very much of the, like, you know, uh, what you do is, that's your job. Knowing how to do it, I'll help you. But, you know, if you've got a, I don't know, a really powerful spellcaster who's not nearly exhausted all their spells and you're just scratching your head and you're like, well, hmm, I guess I'm going to pull my sword and run into combat. I mean, Bob's your uncle. Uh, Go right ahead. You know, I'm not, I, I don't. I don't have a hard time just kind of saying, well, you know, knowing how to play your character is, I think, the minimum. And whatever rules that that allows you to do that is is on you. Yeah, I think there's like a an etiquette thing here at some point um, where you should know the rules that you are going to either have to or choose to um, utilize in the course of you playing your character. And... You know, maybe you don't need to know the grapple rules if you don't intend to ever um, try to grab somebody. But and if the DM sends some monster to grab you, then okay, DM, explain what the hell's going on. But if if you've got a spell list or if you've got you know maneuvers or whatever the hell, um, it's it's really rude to just waste everybody else's time looking up the specific rules for the shit that you knew your character could do to start with and you decided at some point to do but then took a disproportionate amount of the game time that is scarce and people have set aside for this one thing just to sit there and look up your shit and ask your questions and blah 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 like first couple times okay whatever but if we've been playing this game for six months and you still don't know how the hell core mechanics of your character work then you're just being rude and wasting people's time and i mean maybe i'm an asshole but that's really how i feel about it i agree uh something i've gotten away from as a dm that i used to be kind of a dick about was uh if i felt like everybody at the table was experienced enough to know the rules um i mean i would usually just do a time clock I'd give the player what I felt was in a reasonable amount of time, but once the player was testing my patience at the table, I would go 10, 9, mm-hmm. 8, and, you know, it's like when I got to 5, I'm like, when I get done with this, your turn is skipped. Mm-hmm. And then 4, 3, you know, and uh, I, I, that's a bit harsh. Uh, and knowing that we have some, some green folks in this party, I haven't really made a big issue about it, but um, I find myself wanting to more and more as the weeks go by. <laughs> I definitely try to have a progression that I go through whenever I'm teaching a player how to play the game and getting to the point where they are able to do the things that are on their character sheet without assistance. Like the first couple of sessions, yeah, I will be there and I will remind them how to calculate their attack, what dice they might need to roll. And After a couple of sessions, I will start transitioning to, okay, um, they say they want to do something. I will, I will say, okay, do you know what you need to do in order to do that? 
Do you know what dice you need to roll? Do you know what your modifiers are? And I try to transition into, um, well, okay, using D&D as an example again. If I have a rogue, if I have a character who is playing a rogue, the first couple of times I will remind them how to calculate their, their, their attack and how to calculate their damage. And I will give them reminders, oh, whenever this situation, which we currently have, is in place, you do sneak attack damage. After a couple of sessions, then I'll start just saying, okay, do you have sneak attack damage? Then they can answer yes or no. Then I'll start to lay off of asking them, prompting them for whether or not they have sneak attack damage. During play, I will remind them afterward, okay, um, make sure you remember you've, you've still got your sneak attack that you can do whenever you, um, whenever you land a hit and, and under those, these particular circumstances. And ideally, after several more sessions, I won't be saying anything else regarding any of those abilities that the player character has had on their character sheet since the beginning of the campaign. You know, looking back at the topic, we're getting dangerously close to the some of the conversations you guys have had about table etiquette, but it really does, your rules really matter when it comes to that. And uh, let's... The, opposite of what we're talking about comes to my mind uh i have a lot more patience for someone who is just simply getting trying to wrap their head around being a gamer uh i'm a lot more patient for that person but if you really want to get under my skin and uh then be a player who's played forever and simply disregards the part of the rules they don't like talk about that player a little bit do you guys have you guys ever known a player like that i definitely have and Maybe it's because of booze at the table, you know. I've played in many a drunken D&D game over the years where maybe the rules got looser the more beers it got into you. But at the same time, you know, there's always that player at the table who maybe forgets about their concentration or, uh, you know, other limiting factors on an ability that forces the GM to realize, oh, man, like, for the last three sessions, this guy's been doing this, and I'm reading over his class. He can't do that like that, you know? There's To me, there's just nothing more infuriating than for a player to breach that uh, trust. For the same reason I went back to earlier. It's like, it's my job to run the game. It's your job to play your character. And uh, to me, conveniently overlooking certain parts of the rules, whether you do it intentionally or unintentionally, to me, that's... I mean, really, that's just a, a version of, of, of cheating. Have you guys ever dealt with that? If it's intentional, it's cheating. Um, I mean, last session in your game, I just completely fucking forgot concentration on uh, Hunter's mark. And I'd been hit a couple different times and I was like, fuck, I just realized I have not been rolling concentration for this. And at that point, when it's gone on for a while, like, what do you do? You know, there's no, like, D&D assumes that you're, like, doing all this stuff in a procedural way. And when turns have gone by and, like, this would have affected who knows how many other things. You know, there's not like a, a clear remedy for something like that. So I just struck off multiple um, spell slots for those hunter's marks that I probably would have fucked up. Um, but That's the sign of a good player, though. I mean, that that's going to happen. I mean, Yeah, I... there's a lot of shit to keep up with, with that build especially, because there's like the other ability that is exactly like hunter's mark, except for on these edge case things that... 
it's not concentration and yada yada. Anyway, that's in the weeds. But um, when it's intentional, that's a different thing. I don't know if um, if I've seen too much of that. I guess how would I know? I try not to do it. Um, and if somebody else is doing it, then it's pretty sneaky. So I don't, I don't really have a hunch on how frequent a thing that would be. Clayton? I have encountered it. I have encountered a one particular player who was grossly doing it, like flagrantly doing exactly what you're describing. And in that particular instance, that player ended up getting kicked out of the game because they were cheating. There was no other way to describe it. But in every other instance, are they being malicious? Are they being, well, maybe not malicious, but maybe they're just, they just want to win it at role-playing games. So they're, they're quote, forgetting these rules that make it harder for them. That's such a hard thing to really put your finger on until you see a point where this person clearly has mastered the games because I have been a player in games they have GM'd. But whenever they become the player, they're all of a sudden forgetting all of these things that they remembered when they were a GM. Mm -hmm. Because whenever you're a GM, you have so much more going on and it's harder to remember all those things keeping all those plates spinning when you're the GM. Whenever you're a player, you just have the plate of your character. It's a lot easier to remember some of these minutiae. And if you're remembering it as you're a GM, you certainly should be remembering it as a player. And if you're not, then I, in my case, I felt like he was cheating and I did not abide cheaters at my table. Good for you. I, yeah. I, I can only think of one. The one that pops in my mind was from way back in the day, but it was very similar to what you were saying, Clayton. It's just, uh, you know, every, in most games, any, you know, good thing comes with a limiting factor. And there are just some players who know to take advantage. And usually they're experienced players. They know that the DM has so much going on that, well, maybe I won't remember this limiting factor to this ability. Or, you know, maybe I won't do, maybe... I'll do it for five rounds and it causes me fatigue. Well, maybe I'll get to round six and, eh, you know, maybe I don't have to remember that. You know, that kind of thing. And it always comes out in the wash whenever they finally, the DM maybe catches a, an extra day. I just remember in this particular case, it was just like there was a game we played and the DM essentially caught on and he, like, read the player's cheat and ahead of time and then read the class. And just throughout the course of the game, you could just tell that the DM had, like, no, no, you're forgetting that. No, it actually doesn't work that way. I looked it up last week, and it was like almost point for point everything that the character had been built on doing. He, The DM forced him to nerf himself, and it was very awkward at the table. I got, I got two things to say on this topic now that I've had a second to think about it. Um, first and foremost, um, I think it's important to keep in mind that anyone can fuck up at any time at anything. So that I think, you know, just needs to be established. So what you're, what might be the problem is, you know, a pattern of stuff like this. But even given that though, um, I'm thinking back to when I first started playing D and D in second edition, playing Dragonlance. This is like, probably 1998 or something maybe like ridiculously long time ago 
Um, and I feel sorry for you. <laughs> back then, um, I remember at least in the group that I was in, and it it didn't seem like it was a strange thing. That was part of the the fun of the game was trying to get one over on the DM. Mm-hmm. Back then, the rules were clearly about uh, or the burden of keeping up with this shit was completely on the DM as the referee. And if you could sneak one by the ref, good on you. And that was always kind of like a cat and mouse, you know, fun thing here. And the only time that I remember anybody ever getting really pissed off and like calling somebody a cheater is if they fucked with the dice. Um, but as far as like keeping track of rules and stuff, that's, that was back then, at least at that time in that group, totally on the GM. And, you know, I I think this is something that's changed in the culture of the hobby, um, over the, the last couple decades, but sounds like just a product of you being older we all getting older that's a very young person to think to do dude this was this was old players like this was people you know who'd been playing for years and years like since the 80s in the late 90s and that was just the way the game was thought about that you know if you try to do something and the dm you know says well you got to do x y and z okay i do that and they don't call you on this other, you know, factor that was relevant to you. Well, that's that's on them for not calling that out or whatever. You know what I mean? Like the DM would set the conditions for you to achieve something and it wasn't on you to, you know, uh, you could you had sort of like a fifth amendment right <laughs> almost is sort of how it was run like you had no uh there was no impetus for you to um, to implicate yourself. Does that make sense? It does, but that just, I remember those days and I think I even remember some of the people and, uh, to say that those were adults, uh, you know, I, I think that there's a, I don't know, it's probably, I'm sure every table's different. You know, I, I'd be interested to know what other people's experiences were about like this, because I do think that, you know, it's almost like a culture, you know, uh, being at different tables is almost like joining different tribes. Uh, and I've learned a lot from playing from a, playing with a bunch of different players. I, I know that I know that to gamer type, and it's a very much like you know anti-authoritarian, almost like treating the DM like your parents or your teacher, you know. And it always feels good to not not prepare for a test the night before, write it down on your hand, and then get away scot free. There's a very like there's a thrill in it, but uh, that's what it strikes. Uh, that's what that kind of mentality reminds me of. Um, but what rules do you guys think? I mean, what times should rule? When should rules just be gotten rid of? Have you guys ever sat at a table and like the DM throw a rule out the window and you'd be like, "Oh, thank God," or on the other hand, think, "Oh no, that really screws me." You know, I hate that. Many times on both sides. I mean, I think like the first thing is, what are the rules for? That's something that I think is like glossed over a lot and. I think different people have different built-in beliefs um, to answer that question. And that probably more than anything else in this hobby leads to conflicts at the table, I would think. What what exactly is the purpose of spelling out uh, how to handle all these different circumstances? What are we seeking to accomplish by 
you know, writing all this out. Um, so I, I might go on a tirade for the sake of not doing that. I'm going to hand this off to... I want to hear Clayton. Yeah, I would like to hear Clayton because you're very knowledgeable about rules. I, I get the impression you really value rules. What's your take on that? Well, like in our Curse of Strahd game uh, session before last when the character of Elroy teleported up and basically um, grabbed hold of the flying horse or nightmare or whatever it was and was trying to struggle to uh, keep the the enemy from flying off with uh, a person we all cared about. Like that was a very cool cinematic thing that happened that there wasn't exactly rules for doing exactly that. And like you adjudicated it in a way that seemed fair and um, it seemed to be in line with kind of the spirit of the rules, if not like, and because there was no letter of the rules to go by and for something like that, I mean, it worked really well. The core of a, if a player wants to do something that's dangerous, they make a roll. And if they succeed at the roll, then they have done that thing that is dangerous. Um, that was the, the spirit behind the rules. And that's, that's how the, that's how that particular situation played out. And it ended up being a very cool moment and something that we're probably all going to remember about this campaign was this time he teleported up and, wrestled with this uh high-powered enemy of ours and i use that as an example because i have um at a case where the rules got in the way of something that is remarkably similar i was a player and we were on a ship and we were being attacked by these um uh, some sort of flying creatures i want to say they were wyverns but it might not have been but they were basically strafing the sh uh, the ship and my character was uh, playing a rogue and had was a um, was a seaman who was very experienced on the ship, and so he was up in the re in the rigging. And whenever this um, this wyvern did its flyby attack, um, the wyverns had riders. Um, I said I wanted to um, leap off the rigging um, and try to um, like land on this thing, like grabbing hold of it grappling it in order to um like hang on to this thing so i can fight the um the rider off well i made a roll i made a pretty a pretty mediocre roll but it would have been good enough to beat um to, to beat the dc that i needed but then the game master noticed that um the wyvern was too big in relation to my character and the grapple rule specifically stated that the, the um the thing you were grappling was two sizes larger than you, the grapple automatically failed. So my character went into the water in the second round of combat and spent the entire rest of the combat trying to get back up onto the ship. Lame. Wah, wah. So, yeah, the players can get totally screwed by doing what is by the letter of the rules whenever we're supposed to be playing this high adventure um like badass game where we play um cool people um capable awesome heroes but i've been the game master where the player has said something very cool that they wanted to do and i try to remember that particular instance of when i was denied as a player but i don't i i worry that i haven't always thought of it and i've killed good ideas with rules before they could happen 
that's a big worry of mine as a as a game master is I'm going to kill somebody else's cool moment. And, you know, it all depends in those situations because really in that situation, all you were doing, like you were you were basically trying to put yourself in an even more dangerous position. <laughs> so, I mean, if you're going to err on the side of of the player or the the rules as written, uh, if you know, I th- think in like in the situation with uh, Elroy in that last game, you know, really it was a greatly cinematic moment, and it, it did. The consequence was that you guys ended up getting the, to re-engage this bad guy trying to get away. But I mean, another consequence was the bad guy just you know. The, well, the other consequence was that Elroy fell from a great distance and took a lot of damage, which was something he accepted whenever he made the roll. So uh, I was inclined to I wanted him to succeed there, but. Uh, what happened to you reminds me, Jordan or Clayton. I don't know if you played this game or not. You remember Seventh Seas? The oh, system. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think it kind of tackles that idea of that sometimes the rules can ground your players in less heroic action. Which and so most of that system, the, the, the details of the system, go look it up, everybody. It's even if it's not a great game, they re-released it uh, on through a Kickstarter a couple years ago, and we gave it a second shot and. It was kind of wonky, and it didn't last too long, but it was still fun. But it built, the whole system itself is built around encouraging players to do the most outlandish things. And part of the math in the game re- requires a lot of description and builds that into it, and which is really a fun idea. Uh, so it's a great system. But uh, but I think that that's, that too is a slippery slope, though, right? You know, if, if uh, the players get in the habit of doing something kind of wild and because they know the DM's going to kind of give them a lending hand at what point do you drop your players in the water you know like if Elroy had failed that role he knew the consequences he was mm-hmm. it was it was literally a damn the consequences I'm doing this um I'm going to try to do this and there was the chance that he was going to fail and we all we all at the table knew it and we all accepted that but there are like that was in D&D. There are other game systems like Call of Cthulhu where if you were in a situation where you could do something similar, you know what? That's pretty damn hard to do and that's really not in the the genre of Call of Cthulhu mm. to be these this big damn hero. Like yeah, you can go out there and try it, but you're probably not going to succeed at doing it. It's partially the responsibility of the players to kind of keep the genre in mind whenever you're planning out these big things that you're going to do, because sometimes it's just not possible in the genre to do this incredibly awesome thing that that is a cool idea to you. You made a good point, uh, not breaking the wall, but I noticed that you made something in the notes that I loved. Uh, the rule of cool is for the PCs only. And I think that is really important to bear in mind in those types of it all. I mean, when you're trying to slot the rules or bend the rules, it should always be, you know, in the player's favor. The DM shouldn't break the rules just to make their own lives easier, make get get their enemies a, a, an extra leg up. I mean, that that's just kind of lazy DMing. Well, the DM can like sort of cut scene stuff anytime he wants, you know, because the DM has control over what is you know, combat time, what is out of combat, you know, what, how the, the NPCs are spec'd out and whatever. So the, the DM doesn't have to worry about the rules really. Um, so long as they've got a grip of the mechanic, I, 
I think the rules are mostly for the players and like the balance that you're trying to walk there is have things challenging enough so that you feel like you've actually accomplished something um, when you you overcome whatever the challenge is and you know have something present there so you feel like your character is growing getting better at stuff and that there is something on the line you have some way of losing otherwise it just gets ridiculous but with the wyvern thing that you were talking about clayton the thing that sucks there is that it was just you fail full stop and you know that's absurd for many reasons and i think the the D fifth edition especially for some reason it seems like people want to take it as just the fucking set in stone gospel of how this thing is supposed to be run even though the designers are like uh adjust it to fit your own stuff blah blah, blah. like everybody wants to figure out this like you know it's like interpreting the constitution or something mm-hmm. and it's fucking ridiculous you know i mean there's no way that they could have written in every circumstance and they didn't even try and uh, to my in my opinion it's it's a little on the lazy side but you know whatever it's sort of minimalist um but yeah to be like well there are no rules about you know grappling a wyvern in flight blah 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 um fuck off make something up <laughs> just make sure it's you know reasonably fair follow the rule of cool i'm gonna keep that i've heard you i've heard you guys say that before i need to i need to keep that in the back of my head absolutely it's at that point it's like are we big damn heroes or are we not? I mean, am I discouraging my players or am I not? You know, I bet you never tried to do anything else like that again in the game, did you? Right. No, not in that game. I wasn't a player for much longer. Well, and another thing that that as a as a DM in those situations, well, I have a, one thing that came to my mind too was, I think as a rule of thumb as a DM, there is so much downtime in combat. One way I like to do it, and you guys are probably, I think I'm sure I've done this before is that, oh crap, I don't know that rule, and a player wants to do this cool thing. If that can be compartmentalized, you know, so if if you've got a player off on a periphery trying to do something they're not 100% sure about how to do, and you got a whole other group waiting on them, well, you could either ad-lib it in the moment, I mean, but there's nothing wrong to just put that on pause and be like, you know what, that's not going to affect any other player, and it's only going to affect the dude you're in combat with. Okay, well, you look that rule up, player because you have nothing else going on i'm going to move over to these players in the next initiative order we're going to resolve some other things as soon as you get that figured out just come back to me and we'll do it by the rules because i'd like to because a lot of times you as a dm i'd like to i want to follow the rules by default but you just don't have them all in your brain all the time and i think that's one i don't i think i mean i know i try to do that most players uh, i've seen that i've seen a lot of dms do that i've seen a lot of dms not do that and i just i hate it whenever you know, I hate it whenever I, I know there's a rule in the book that governs a, something and, it, and it's a perfectly fine rule. I don't remember it. The player didn't look it up for me ahead of time. So instead of putting me on the spot as a DM, just make up my mind in the moment. You know, if you can at all default to using a rule, it's better to it's better to bend a rule you know than to make one up whenever you just don't remember it. So it, when at all possible, that's what I like to do. Have you guys ever encountered anything like that? Or is that something that kind of rings true to you guys too i'm a big proponent of having the player look up the rule um if it's something that nobody at the table automatically knows yeah i'm fine with uh with basically saying okay 
we'll put a pin in this and we'll move on to the next initiative. But as soon as we have an answer on this rule, then we'll come back to you. Um, I, I think that's a very fair way of doing it. Um, and um, I, I would be happy with doing that in, in one of my games. One of the things that I do in our, in our game, in our Curse of Strahd game, is anytime a player come, like asks question or says they want to do something, and it's a rule I personally don't automatically know off the top of my head, I am automatically looking it up before you've given your response on that. Sometimes I do know the rules, but I probably come off come across as more uh, knowledgeable of the rules than I actually am because I I am looking up in real time these questions as they are being asked. You're a phony. Well, I, and I appreciate that. I don't know how many times you've come in in the clutch for somebody else, and for me, uh, I appreciate it. Uh, I like and and the thing is, there's nothing wrong with getting to that point, and then as a DM at that point being like, that's trash. I'm not going to do that. I mean, if that happens too many times, I think at what point does a house rule get triggered? It's like mm-hmm. you find yourself... I don't like house rules being made up on the spot. I had a DM once who we kept running into some similar problems, or he had some issues, I guess, with some of the ways the rules were. And between two sessions, he did some research. And then the very first thing that happened when we got to the next session is like, okay, guys, X, Y, and Z, I don't like these things. I haven't liked them from the beginning. So I'm changing them to ABC. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was fun. I want to know that the rules are being changed before I try to use the rule. And if the rules are going to get changed in a particular instance, I want it to stay like that. Like if if we're in a if we're in a situation and there's a question about the rule and a call is made, I want to know before before even the call is made if this is if the response of this call is what is going to stand from here on out or whether we're making the call now and we're looking it up to afterward and then after this session the thing we look up is how we're going to be handling it i've been in games where there is there is no consistency the game master barely knows the rules and then is just making arbitrary decisions about the rules in a case by case basis and when a case comes back up, it's a different ruling. That infuriates me to no end because as a player, I I don't have control over the world. I have control over my character and I have control over my understanding of the rules. And if I don't have that control over my understanding of the rules, if it's if it is that fluid, I can't have fun. I I crave that I crave consistency more than I crave rules mastery. Well, there's there's something to be said for doing some play testing and I think that there's definitely some room. I mean, we've done this in a ton of apocalyptia games together Clayton where I've got some idea for a rule that I want to change, you know, tweak it a little bit this way or that. Um I I have an idea of what I think I want it to be. I don't know how it's going to work out in play for the players, you know, over, um, you know, multiple sessions and, you know, continuing uh, advancement and all that stuff. So I think that uh, especially if you're developing a game yourself or if, you know, you're you definitely want a house rule to cover some category, I think it's fine to try it out over several sessions in different situations, get feedback from people. Um, 
and just let it be known that this is like an in development, you know, part of the game. And if you're, if you're going to touch it, then it's going to be, you know, kind of shaky territory until we've tested it out quite a bit. Um, what I think you should do though, is that if, um, if a player has made concrete character decisions based on that rule being in effect and that rule changes, you should give them the option to respec their character. Um, I think that's only fair, but personally, I, I don't mind having rules being uh, on a trial basis so long as that's explicitly known. Yeah, and whenever you do that, you every single time, I can't think of an instance where this didn't happen, where at the beginning of the session, you said, hey guys, um, I've been messing with the rules. I want to do I want to do it this way this time. See how that plays out. It's not like, okay, I'm going to, uh, I'm not, I'm going to ram my bus into, uh, the, the, this enemy's car. Um, I make my role. Oh, as the game master. No, no, no. I, I'm sorry. I changed the rules on that after you've already made the role. Um, this is how it goes now. Mm-hmm. I can't stand that. <laughs> oh, I mean, at least that DM is trying to hide it. I mean, I don't know how many times I've been like, really owning with a character and then the dm just being like oh that's trash here's how we're gonna do it i, I hate that that makes no sense and then they change it willingly i think if i remember was bad about stuff like that an old mm-hmm. dm of ours back in the day something that's been in the back of my mind for a while i want to get you guys this is something that's a pet peeve of mine it's not necessarily a rules thing but you know i mean it kind of is playing on a surface a lot of people uh, don't i've played my fair share of games i've ran my fair share of games when you don't use a grid surface it's inconvenient you know you have to buy things you have to make things blah 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 but uh a game i played once upon a time and i'm not gonna say that anybody who ran this game was in this chat right now or on this podcast there was once upon a time uh, a player came to a game and he hadn't ever played with you before jordan and so it all we had ever really done was play theater of the mind for a long, long time. But I remember this guy was, he rode with me. He was, we were excited. It was a Jedi game and he had made this build where it was, he was a mobility master. He could move in and out of combat at will because of some feats that he took. It was a really good build. And then he showed up and we were all just playing theater of the mind and he had absolutely no way to know where he was positionally in combat. And I just remember even like, I even think you made a comment about it after the fact about basically how trash his character's build was. Like in not directly, but in like so many certain words. Like, oh man, yeah, you really need to work on that character. And I remember his, <laughs> he was like, like I, heck, he was like a bottle of pop that had been dropped on the ground. You know what I mean? It was like, but oh I mean, shit, that makes he, me feel bad. No, he deserved it. He was a douche. Uh, <laughs> but uh, uh. Still, you know, I I walk away from that, and I always, as a player, make sure, like when we're I'm running a wizard right now, and the first question I asked my DM was like, "Are we going to play on a grid? Are we going to are we doing theater of the mind? What are we doing here?" Because, mm-hmm. I mean, you got you know Clayton is play, you play your wizard your warlock really well, considering your position, but it's a completely different thing. Uh, what do you guys think about that? Is that rules? Is that preference? Because, you know, what do you think? Because so much of the powers and so many of the so much of what the rules are built on, at least in D&D and a lot of other settings too, assume you either are or you are not playing on a map. Mm-hmm. That's my first question is uh, wh- whether we are going to be playing theater of the mind or if we're going to be playing on a grid. Um, some systems are built for playing theater of the mind, white wolf games, storyteller games. 
dungeon world games. Those are designed to be played theater of the mind. Dungeons and Dragons has, well, fifth edition is mostly designed to be played on a grid, but it's supposedly, it's supposed to be flexible enough that you can play without. It does okay, I'll say, because we didn't, and it worked out fine, but I made sure to build my character with that in mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my, like, in that particular instance of the player coming to the game with a um, grid-based mobility expert, and they get there and know, and they learn that, oh, we're playing Theater of the Mind, that's a perfect candidate for, Jordan, what you said just a couple minutes ago about, like, okay, this major thing is different, I need to respect my character. Um, mm-hmm. But I've also been in games where I explicitly asked at the beginning of the campaign, hey, is this going to be on a grid or is this going to be theater of the mind? Because if this is going to be on a grid, I'm going to make my character to be a certain way in order to maximize tactical advantage. And I was told, we are going to be playing on a grid. And then we go six levels without playing on a grid. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. Same. Roll 20 has kind of spoiled me because I'm not the crafty type and I, I usually, I feel like just drawing um, on a on a dry erase mat is okay, but I don't love it. And I had a DM who, like I said, was a crafter and it made that game so fun uh, because we had so many interesting tactical uh, scenarios that were never the same twice. And now playing in Roll 20 like I've been for a while, it, it, maps are a little bit more easy for me to wrap my head around. Some people don't like doing it that way. I prefer doing it in computer i don't know what i'll do when i actually have to play with people again (laughs) i'll I'll say that for me um i prefer to run theater of the mind but i prefer to play with a grid map however um when i'm playing theater of the mind i feel like i am more in the in the mindset of the character than when i'm playing on a grid map it's it's easier on a grid map and uh, I think just kind of the the type of gamer that I am, um, you know, tends towards those like that like power gamery, you know, clunky munchkin kind of stuff more for the grid mat. But it detaches you when you're just looking at this token from a bird's eye view. You know, I don't identify with that little token. That's just the piece that I can move. Um, so, you know, that's that's what that is. On a tactical map, um, when the grid comes out, the role-playing stops and the game begins. Yeah, for sure. Um, That's a good point. I, I want to bring one thing up and see what you guys think about this, because you're both running in games that I'm playing in right now. I just want to speak to like the perception that I have about the rules from a player's perspective in, in D&D, since we're both playing in 5th edition games. In 5e and a lot of games like it, there is very little that the character has as far as um, resources to expend to influence the game one way or the other in their favor. You've got your set of spells or abilities or whatever, but very few of those can influence your chances of success. There's the advantage die and that's about it there's the the bard stuff for them and you know so on but um by default there aren't hero points force points whatever now clayton you have used that in eberron to help a little bit but from from playing D 5e 
it feels to me like the game is the rules function as a cage and your actions are basically like playing a slot machine and you're just kind of or, or a craps table i guess you're just hoping the dice favor you and there's not a whole lot you can do to like really prioritize this role over that role um the hero points help but i gotta say the the finite amount per level rather than per session makes them kind of irrelevant because it takes so long to level up yeah what do you guys think about like giving players more chances to emphasize certain actions that they want to do for story purposes usually be that in combat or out of combat in spite of the rules like do you know what i'm saying well i have a good example i would challenge your analogy a little bit though because you know craps and slot machines they are just you know you're not influencing those at all those are house games you they you know a casino loves it when you play those games but like i think of it more as i think D and the rule set for D D is more like blackjack or um texas hold'em where you have an element of chance but you know there's clear being skilled at playing your character is the thumb that puts the weight in your favor but I think an example where I tried to put myself in that mindset was the beginning of last session, you guys, I'd killed an NPC. And in my mind, he was dead from the moment, from the jump. And you guys, because I had impaled him on the steeple of a church, and you guys were dead set on this guy living. He kept challenging me, but, you know, I have this and I have that. And I'm like, okay, well, and I use the rules as a guiding line. But at any point, it would have been completely understandable from the DM perspective that I'm like, no, this guy's literally been impaled on a giant spike. He's fucking dead. Like, but I could just tell story. You guys were expending spells. You were expending scrolls. You were doing all kinds of cool stuff with the rules as as written to try to save this guy's life. And ultimately, I was like, you know, I need to reward them with this. Same thing with Elroy. You know, I I, I wanted that guy to get away when he, honestly, that guy was getting away. Period. In my mind. I did not want you guys to kill him or get involved with him. But when El- when when he showed me, he was so willing to go not let this end that once Elroy got up there, in the back of my mind, I was like, well, this guy wants, they want this guy. So in my mind, I even like went overboard because there were things I looked back on that he could have done to save himself and get out of the combat. But I was just in my mind, I'm like, no, they want this guy. And he's a very evil guy. He's a very cocky, powerful guy. He would just stay here and not believe they could beat him until they kill him. And so, like, those were moments when, you know, maybe, I mean, maybe it's not exactly to your point, but I think that uh, it's important to, you know, when the players are expending so much of their stuff and you're using the rules to the best as they can, when you see the rules kind of starting to bend because the players really need an outcome or they've latched onto an outcome, I think you let those rules you find a way for them to break that's the least obvious way so that it enhances the story, even if it comes at the expense of, like, well, the rules really, you know, shouldn't have bent that way. I'll let you, Clayton. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. Um, like, particularly when, like, like the example of the guy who was impaled on the, on the steeple, I feel like all of us were playing very much in character that like this guy was really important to all of us. And we were willing to expend all of these resources on the chance that he could be saved. I personally, um, I would have been fine if we had gone through all of that and it was for naught. 
Um, if he would have been just too far gone, that is something that I, I would have grappled with as a character and would have, uh, resulted in some fun role playing, especially between, uh, my character and Jordan's character as we, um, fought with each other, um, argued with each other about what we could have done differently or who should have done more because that's, that seems to be the pattern that our characters go into whenever shit goes wrong as we start arguing with, with each other that, uh, accusing each other of not having done enough. You guys earned it in my mind. So I was going to, you know, in my mind, it's like, well, they need to make this somewhat believable. And you guys did. So I'm like, they they earned this. For the story that we were playing, I'm that was a right choice. There, there really was no wrong choice that you could make in that situation. Both options were going to be a cool story. This is not exactly what I was talking about, um, though I agree that that was that was good, um, a good call and everything. Um, I'm talking about something that's a, a little bit more granular. Um, and I, I mean, like, is it the cold shot? Do what? Like, is that it, it, this came to my mind while Clayton was talking? Were you m- more getting at like the idea of a cold shot that in D and D I'm a really badass archer. I'm going to shoot him in the eye. And then you do six points of damage and he still has 75 hit points left. And the DM's like, well, you hit him in the thigh. There's stuff like that. Um, I mean, the skill system in its entirety, you know, if you're doing any given thing um, with a skill, any player of or any character of equal level with an equal ability um, that is trained or not, whatever, um, in that skill will have the same exact chance of getting something done. Um, regardless of what else is going on. And you don't have um, any way to try to make that more likely to succeed as a player. And so that's what I mean by it feels like a passive thing because I have no way of like trying extra hard to do something. It's just, well, toss the d20 and see how the math shakes out. And it doesn't matter how important that is to me as a player, uh, the character's story or the story generally, um, none of that matters. It's just, well, toss the dice and see how, how fate thinks about it, you know? Um, and so that's, that's why I say it feels like a cage because there is no extra, um, lever of control that you have on that level to try to put more resources into stuff. Um, but yeah, like what you were talking about was an out of combat thing, you know, how to how to help this guy. It was an immediately post combat thing. We came up with, you know, a pretty reasonable idea given our resources and we dumped our resources into doing that. Yeah, that's that's all I mean. That when I've played games in the past, you know, Star Wars or World of Darkness, you know, force points and willpower, um, Benny's in uh Savage Worlds that's another way for you to express what matters to your character and it is rewarded mechanically for you doing so. And I think that that is something that is sorely lacking in D&D. And I think that the inspiration mechanic was a nod to it, but it was a very lazy and unfinished implementation of, of that idea. And I think that the more of that that you can do, the more fun that your players are going to have and the more engaged they'll be in, in the outcomes rather than just the passive gambling kind of mechanic that's there now. I agree with, like, particularly outside of combat, outside of just the slog of just taking turns dealing damage to each other. Outside of that, 
yeah, I a hundred percent agree that there's just, there's just not enough there to represent putting in the extra effort Mm -hmm. to, to accomplish something that is really important to you in inside of combat inside of just duking it out making attack rolls and dealing damage or casting spells that they resist or um that might shut down combat i'm less critical of it in those particular situations just because the system is it's designed to be i mean i'm i i call it a slog but um and i mean that in all the negative ways that all the negative connotations but also in the fact that it's just this back and forth trading that you do for a while that is an attrition war against the enemy like in an in the attrition war that is the D combat i don't care so much that there's not a particular mechanic that can that can give my um that that makes it a lot easier for my attacks to hit i would care much more if there was a particular mechanic that if if we were outside of combat for my character to make the critical jump across a, a wide chasm that um, I can just barely make. It matters for me just as much, if not more, in combat, because if if you're in a game like, um, you know, World of Darkness, let's say you're playing Vampire or something, um, and, you know, you're fighting some random adversary you can reflect how you feel about that adversary based on, you know, how much hit points or how much uh, willpower that you want to spend to go after him, how much blood points you want to spend to do stuff to fuck them up. Um, and so you can see, you know, wow, I really want to take this guy down because of personal reasons versus this dude's just a random nuisance. But in D and I'm going to go after, or I'm going to go as hard against a goblin as I am against my arch nemesis because I don't have any other way of like going after someone. I just am on my combat loop and playing that optimally, but it it doesn't reflect anything about, you know, my character's priorities. And so it's just that bland, you know, combat churn, no matter who you're fighting. That sucks. I think you're describing the common thing that happens in D and D. It's like, say, you being a tankier member of the party, you're, you're, you know, you, every time it gets to your turn, you're chunking out thirty hit points, fifteen hit points, and you're just, if you look at the scheme of it, your character maybe has done seventy five percent of the danger and taken seventy five percent of the attacks, and then you've also dealt most of the damage, and then your, you know, chicken shit rogue in the corner happens to catch that ogre or whatever at four hit points and zaps him with a an arrow for four hit points and it looks like the rogue just killed the ogre you know and you're just like oh man that sucks it's like hmm this you know i mean there's no way to there's no way to like give you the ability to be the hero in that moment or or to give an extra effort to get the get it or or, or I, does that kind of ring true to your sentiment uh i mean that that might be like a side effect of the same thing that i'm talking about it's not really what i'm driving at i'm not talking about like getting the glory because that's that's kind of a funny thing that happens a lot anyway and i don't really mind it um i just mean uh being able to um to really put some heart into you know taking somebody down or getting something done or whatever and feeling like it matters it's super boring as uh as a player to know that this set of numbers and dice rolls that represents my character 
is going to work exactly the same no matter what it's up against. And I don't really have any way of making one thing prioritized over another. Like That is what individuality is. That is what decision-making is, is choosing to put more emphasis, more resources, more effort um, towards one thing over another. And D&D doesn't let me do that. <laughs> I just... I just do the optimum thing every round, and that's the best I can do. You can try to be, you know, inventive with it or whatever, but the rules are so constraining as far as what's possible in combat. So yet again, the moral of the the, the, the moral of the uh, podcast is Jordan has fundamental disagreements about D and D. I just think the more you let players like emphasize stuff and spend resources to do it that's saying stuff about who their character is and that's mm-hmm. more fun that's more engaging you but know the willpower system is i i do agree jordan i 100 percent agree on like wanting to be able to have those the ability to do that but whenever i play D D, I i come i know that combat has always in D D been about just trading hit points dealing damage until the enemy gets whittled down and so it's not an issue for me that D fifth edition continues that trend if i wanted to play a game where i could throw all of my stuff into one attack and take an enemy out that i incredibly hate i would play a different system well you house rules did for eberron you brought in hero points so the way that the game is played is just how we choose to play the game at the table you know, there are, there are no, um, you know, D and D police that are going to kick our door in because we didn't play it the way that Jeremy Crawford or whoever thought we should. So I'm just saying that there's better ways to play the game than what is there. And people should try that and not feel like there's anything wrong with it. All right. Um, I can agree with that. So I think we'll go ahead and end here since we are running a little long in the tooth. Uh, we'll go on to geek things. Um, I only have one geek thing. Um, it is another YouTube channel called Hats Off Entertainment. It is a series of many documentaries. Um, some of them are about comedy films. Others are about comedians. The channel is a little bit more than a year old at this point, and each video is about 15 to 20 minutes long, and it's has a lot of very cool, interesting information about um, comedians and, and uh, film comedies over the years um if you're interested in those types of things i definitely recommend checking this channel out hats off entertainment i checked out that one you said a while back about uh decomposing food and it is wonderful i I have one but it's a little bit unorthodox it's more of a i'll try not to run too long but you know when i was a kid uh you know i was into sports and stuff and until i started hanging out with gamers and then gamers told me that gamers don't like sports and uh, so I was more than happy to throw away all my Michael Jordan jerseys and trade them in for, uh, you know, uh, D&D books. But when I got older, um, I uh, I found myself very isolated from my coworkers in those moments where we're all t- sitting around t- the water cooler talking about sports. And uh, I remembered my childhood love of basketball. And I, my geek thing is uh, the NBA playoffs. They're awesome. Right now, uh, I, I I decided to get back into sports a few years ago, and I am super nerdy. It, it's become such a super nerdy passion. Any of you guys out there who listen to this that maybe just knee-jerk, ah, I'm not into sports, 
give the NBA a chance because, you know, it's full of heroes and hero storylines, people trying to climb to the top of the mountain. There's some amazing, you know, feats of athleticism that happen every single night. And I've in the bubble, you know, there's been basketball every night for the last two months, and it has been just a treat. So uh, if you're looking for something new to get yourself into and you think yourself not a sports person, check out the NBA Finals. That's coming up in the next couple of weeks. Conference finals are right now. I think uh, you might get hooked. Um, my geek thing is going to be a little more orthodox, and uh, I'm a little reluctant to recommend it because I've only seen one episode. But um, Raised by Wolves is this weird Ridley Scott kind of. I think it's Ridley Scott. He's like a producer or something on it. Um, this weird sci-fi show on HBO. Um, I don't want to say anything more than just check it out. The first episode's free on YouTube. It's super weird and not at all what I was expecting based on the trailer. Um, it's, it's an interesting take on sci-fi stuff. I'll, I'll just stop there, make your own judgments. Um, it, it was odd enough to get my attention and I think it's pretty well done. I don't know if it pans out for the rest of the first season, but what I saw was enough to pique my interest, and it might for you too. So, yeah, check it out. All right, guys. What do you say we stop this bullshit and start rolling some dice? Yeah. This has been a production of Alien Familiar Media. You can find past episodes and more at alienfamiliar.com. You can email us at alienfamiliarmedia at gmail.com. This production is protected under a Creative Commons non-commercial attribution, no derivatives license. Music for this episode is Suburban Outlaw by Forget the Whale and can be found at freemusicarchive.org.